You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your aeroflight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today is a real quick, real short, 30-minute-ish BS session with the DIY sportsman, Garrett Prawl, about knowing when to replace your hunting gear and equipment. And we talk about everything from boots and clothing to bow strings and a whole bunch of other items that we all use in, in any given season. And so we always talk about the latest greatest things but often enough we don't talk about the reality of all this stuff and is that we all can't afford brand new hunting gear every single season so we got to learn how to take care of it we talk about repairing replacing we talk about uh you know patching up stuff in in their clothing learning how to use a sewing machine that kind of stuff and so it's a really good episode i'm, I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it and plus if you don't know who Garrett is, he is the host of the DIY Sportsman podcast here on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, and he's a wealth of knowledge, so make sure you go and listen to his podcast as well. And before we get into that, though, we got to do some commercials. If you're looking for a saddle, you need to go check out Tethered. Not only do they have badass equipment, right? I've been playing around with their platform, their saddle, and I'm a big guy, so I went with the extra large stuff. I went with their XL uh, saddle and their XL platform. Uh, I have some climbing sticks from them as well. And uh, not only is their, their products grade A, but they have a wealth of knowledge on their website and on their YouTube channel that helps educate people how to get more comfortable with the equipment that they sell. And that's, uh, that's a big bonus. So go check out Tethered if you're looking to get into saddle hunting. Hunt stand, again and again, man, I keep referring to this, this, 
this platform, this uh, this hunting app that is just has a wealth of knowledge behind it. It has so much functionality. It has the ability to check landowners, satellite imagery. There's like seven or eight different mapping uh, base layers that you can choose from. On top of that, it has the, the you know, you can drop your pins and, and journal and document everything that you find, but it goes deeper than that. It allows you to journal in those and, and leave notes and uh, share pictures and um, trail camera photos and organize them in there. I mean, you need, in order to, to get the gist of what Hunt Stand is, you need to go to huntstand.com, check it out, discount code for 20% off sn20 and you can you can download it for free and if you want to upgrade use the discount code sn20 and lastly annihilator broadheads uh i just had these guys on the the podcast the episode before this one so if you want to go learn about their their broadhead and how deadly it is you need to go check out the previous podcast with Annihilator Broadheads. And if you want to find more about about the company and their unique design and how it uh, the design allows for larger wound channels and more pass-throughs through the game that they're trying to uh, that you're trying to hunt, go check out uh, their the Annihilator Broadheads website. Other than that, let's get into today's topic and that's knowing when to replace or upgrade or fix your your hunting gear and equipment with Garrett Prawl, the DIY sportsman. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Three, two, one. All right. On the podcast with me today is the DIY sportsman Garrett Prawl. Garrett, what's up, man? Hey Dan, how's it going? It's going good. How how's the season looking so far? If you were gonna if you were going to take a look at everything that you know going into the season, how do you feel about it? How's it looking? I would say seven and a half to eight out of ten. Really? That's high. Yeah. What, well, I've what got, about it? Uh, I've built up enough history in the place that I'm mostly going to be hunting that I have a lot of confidence for how the deer use it oh, at awesome. various times of the year. And I had, I think, five bucks over several thousand acres that I was really looking to see and hoping to, you know, hoping they'd make it through yeah. the firearm season and make it to this year. And I've already got confirmation of two of those bucks. Oh, nice. Uh, and I, I imagine that I, I know a couple of the, of the other ones have gotten photos after the rifle season. So I imagine they're around. I just haven't gotten photos of them. Most of my cameras are in scrape spots. I expect to get good in October. Yeah. So that's awesome. Things are looking up so far. That's good. I tell you what, it, it's good to have that kind of confidence going into a season myself dude i only have one shooter buck on camera only one time this year so far and that's that's a cell cam and i got like let's see one two three four cell cams out and over 800 acres about and it's just i don't know man i I, like i'm hoping that september shift swings in my favor this year yeah. Yeah. It could be, you know, the crops or whatever. Yeah. I seem to always struggle this time of year getting consistent pictures of, of good deer. Yeah. I'll get like that one random one every two weeks. If they're just kind of like doing that little excursion in the yeah. July, August time frame through the, the rut range. But yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what do you got for states this year? You, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, anything else? Yeah. I'll do North Dakota for the opener again. And oh, nice. If I don't tag out, I'll, I'll probably go back sometime in November, December. 
But nice. Trying to keep it a little bit more confined this year than I have last year. Yeah. Why is that? It just gets spread too thin. Yeah. I remember last year, I even did like the, the Iowa late season tag again. And I just remember thinking, you know, I was struggling and, and you know, putting in miles trying to make it happen. And it just wasn't really clicking. Most of the deer I was finding were spending a lot of time on private. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, I could be just, you know, pounding some of my land that I know really well back up in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and, and probably doing better than I am right now. Yeah. And I was just, you know, trying to fill too many tags in one season. Yeah. That's the game. That's the game right i mean you hear these stories about guys going out and getting it done in man i don't know like five states in one year right and the most i've hunted in one year is three and so i don't know man i'm trying to i'm trying to play that game as well and and trying to figure out what the limits are and see because because if one hunt goes terribly wrong and you don't tag out and you use all however many days you've allocated to that that hunt yep the next hunt you can either cut it short if it's if it's bad then the next hunt or you want to stretch it out or i don't know it just that that game is is hard to play yeah it it's very hard and it depends a lot on what your goals are yeah yeah that's a fact that's a fact well this is the hunting gear podcast and i kind of this topic kind of popped up the other day i'm i'm in the market for a new pair of boots and i'm probably just going to go and buy uh uh, the same pair that I've uh, been using for the past four years. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how long do I let equipment go until I replace it or up, you know, upgrade it or fix it or anything like that. And so first question right off to you is very high level question is how often do you replace your hunting equipment? I'd say, more often than I did when I was younger. Yeah. But I usually push it about to the point where it's getting kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like, you know, multiple holes in pants. Yeah. Um, or like boots if they're leaking or like leather boots if the soles, you know, starting to fall off. Um, if, if, it, if stuff gets to that point, that's usually when I'm like, okay, I'll just get a new one. If it's something I like, they'll get the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever done any type of repair like sole uh sole of the boots replace them or re uh, how do you re waterproof a pair of boots i've done especially on leather boots in the past i've done the little silicone treatments to try and yeah give them some additional waterproofing if they're gore-tex or something like that but it usually seems like once it starts to go it's pretty constant uh upkeep to try and get them back to the point where they're actually working again yeah um yeah that, that's been kind of my experience with it. Yeah, that's the same thing that I, I did this year. I decided to to last or to put them out one more year. And luckily, when I uh, wear these boots, it's not I don't have to go through a lot of moisture per se and, uh, unless it's like uh, raining or things like that. But I rewaterproofed my boots. You know, I scrubbed them down real hard, got them nice and dry, and then I did the uh, spray on silicone over top of all of it and let it absorb in. And I don't, I don't think it worked like I wanted it to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's usually what, what you're experiencing is usually about the point where I just say, you know, forget it. I'll yeah. just go buy another pair. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I did this year. I ended up like, I'm gonna probably in the next week or so, I'm going to be buying a new pair of boots and, uh, getting, um, getting, 
getting them broke in before the season starts. Now, what about other equipment? Uh, me and you are both bow hunters, right? How often, yep. you know, there's this fine line with, that a lot of bow hunters go through, and it's, I like bow hunting, so I want to get the latest and greatest bow, versus the guys out there who are like, dude, I've been shooting the same bow for 17 years or whatever. When it comes to mechanical equipment like uh, a bow or broadheads or arrows or, or things like that, how often are you uh, messing around with those? I'd say I more often change if I'm looking to experiment with different things than out of necessity. Yeah. Uh, I think with most of my, you know, machined or mechanical type of equipment, like I, I hunted with a Bowtech for six or seven years. Yeah. And when I got rid of it, I didn't really need to replace it. I could have kept using it, but I just wanted to try something different. Yeah. And whether it's, you know, broadheads or something that's archery related, you know, like when, when I hunted out of a tree stand more, I used the same tree stand for, gosh, I, I think I bought that thing 16 years ago at right. this point. Um, so some things that just literally don't need to be replaced if they're made well. Yeah. Uh, if anything, it's like the, you know, more wearable parts of it, you yeah. know, like, like strings and cables on a bow would be an example. Yeah. Things that, things that wear and obviously need replaced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like how often, how, when you, when you had that bow tech for however many years, how many years did you go on a set of strings? I think I've replaced them about every two years. Every two. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, so this year I decided not to upgrade my bow. And part of it was because I was shooting really good with it last year and so when I, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm guilty for not being that guy who goes out and, uh, and shoots all year round, right? I'm unfortunately not that guy. But when I picked it up this year and shot it, I started shooting consistent again right away. Now I need to do some fine tuning because it just, it hung in my garage all winter, but I, I'm, I'm shooting consistent. And so that is like a big portion of, you know, when you get a, a new bow or a new sight or a rest, you got to go through all the steps again. And the only thing I have to do is these little tweaks on, on my bow this year. And uh, if I do decide to keep my bow for one more year after this, uh, I'm definitely going to have to get new strings and cables because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty hard on my equipment. Yeah. Yeah, usually with that stuff, I'll just do the visual test, right? Like this year I changed my cables, but I left the same string you know, some people will say you should swap all that stuff at the same time, but yeah, you know, my, my cables were showing a lot of wear where they wrap around the cam and yeah. I just decided I was going to replace those. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's been working fine, but yeah. you, you brought up a good point too, that like, man, it's so much easier when you don't change something really big right. that requires a lot of setup, like a bow. Right. Right. So when it now on like, similar to you, but this will be my first year hunting out of a saddle. Right. So it's not necessarily that I I'm getting rid of any tree stands because of wear and tear and things like that, because I don't know what uh, what tree stand did you buy 17 years ago that still worked? It was an assault one lone wolf, right? Lone wolf. Yeah. Yep. Right. So what's the the new company now is Novex pretty much the same. It's the same same tree stand and uh, the, the the custom gear stuff is all kind of similar the xop it's all kind of it's based off the same principles right so 
you take uh you take something like that and it's designed for a lifetime it's made out of metal right so unless you really abuse it man I, I just like you man i think i have a one of the original lone wolves that i bought at a garage sale long time ago or bought off of a buddy long time ago that was i don't even know i, I i've probably had it 15 15 15 plus years now and so it's uh it's one of those pieces of equipment where you don't necessarily need to but i think the big issue with guys like us is we like the new things right we like we, <laughs> yep. we like to spend our money on all the latest and greatest and and mess around with that now what about what about clothing right because clothing for me man I, i'm rough on it i mean when i get holes and stuff you know, I, I'll get holes. Do you do you ever do any patchwork on your clothes, or if it's a big tear, try to fix it, or do you just replace? I'd say, in the past, I was more likely to sew, replace, and do whatever. But I would say now I'm more likely to, if I have a major rip or tear like that, um, you know, either see if it's warranted or or replace it. Most yeah. often, it's probably not going to be something that's cover it's covered by warranty yeah but i'm thinking about like oh if i want to you know patch this up i gotta take the sewing machine out, i gotta do this that and the other thing and it's like i got 18 other things on my plate i mean you you definitely know having kids that uh time is is precious <laughs> and sometimes it's easier to just go back online and order the next thing that's a fact man that's a fact uh and, and you made you made you made a really good point there with um uh warranties right when you when you go to purchase any type of product do you look for warranties that if the prop, if the equipment is damaged or the piece, you know, whatever the product is, is damaged that you can have it replaced at a discount or for free? I think for me, it's secondary to how much I like the equipment and what yeah. it's doing for me. If two pieces of gear are functionally identical and similar in price, then the warranty will probably sway me. But I'm not going to choose something that has a better warranty if I think it's maybe an inferior product or a design that I don't like as much as something else that might not have as good of a warranty. Right, right. So with with that said then, um, are, what are you looking for in, in products? Now, you can, go, you can get in specifics, right? When it comes, are you, are you looking for products that are going to last or are or quick but cheap like how do you go into purchasing making your purchases what what decision uh you know what decisions do you make or categories that you rank high or low when going into purchasing a piece of equipment i'd say two categories that are pretty high for me are you know design slash functionality yeah is it going to do what i expect it to do and how i expect it to do it and then number two would be kind of the build quality of it. Yeah. You know, is this something that's going to last? Is this something I'm fearful that it could break or, or, you know, might need to be replaced within the course of a year? Is it something that's going to last me a little bit? I think those two things rank pretty high. And generally, if those expectations are met, I don't really mind necessarily the buy once, cry once attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that um, price reflects quality uh, in the hunting industry? It can. But I don't think that's a blanket statement across the board. Yeah. I think some people just, you know, price it forever to the market will bear, even if it's not a top tier product. Yeah. And, uh, but I think generally speaking, stuff that is good quality tends to cost more. It's very rare that you find that item that's 
literally the top of the you know quality spectrum, but is priced half of what everything else is. Yeah. Okay. Do you? Uh, we all have we all have a couple of these. I, I think anyway. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Do, do you ever have uh, had any regrets in the in the past where you? We were like, hey, I think this, I think this is really gonna do it for me, and it didn't end up functioning like you wanted it to, or the opposite, where you're just like, oh man, I'm gonna save a little money here and go with this, and then you get out there and instantly regret it. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I spend way too much money on both clothing and archery stuff. Those are kind of the two categories that, from a tinkering standpoint, yeah, um, and just trying different things that I think might work. When I'm sitting there in a you know in a tree just with hours to think on end, yeah. Um, like I, I bought a pair of uh, a pair of pants that I was going to use for late season last year, and they instead of having a more typical type of insulation, they had like an aerogel mat, like a dense um, a dense material. Yeah. And it ended up being much stiffer than I was anticipating, and so I like I couldn't really use it with knee pads. Um, it didn't breathe at all. So it was kind of hard to use functionally. And I wore it once. And I was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to wear these things again. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever give feedback to the customer on, uh, on something like that or on, not the customer, but the, uh, the, the manufacturer, do you ever go back and be like, Hey man, I bought this. Uh, I just, uh, it didn't work for me and here's why. Yeah, I, I usually do. I mean, if it's a, a giant company, yeah. I might not take the time. But if it's a smaller company especially, I'll, I'll definitely try to pass along that type of feedback. Yeah, yeah. So I, I tested out a um, a broadhead recently that uh, was sent to me. And for, oh, I don't even know how many years now, I've been using Wasp and just awesome. Like, love Wasp, love uh, everything about them and, and this and that. But another another company sent me a, uh, a set of heads, and I was actually pretty impressed uh, with how they performed, except for one one specific thing, and that was they were loud. I could hear them going, you know what I mean, down down the range, yep. and I, I'm like, dude, if I can hear it, then. If it's on a calm day, a deer can definitely hear that. And so I took my time and uh, I, I reached out to the company and I said, you know, hey, this is I shot them. And I just want to say, uh, you know, uh, here's what I thought about them. I think they fly great. I think they are very field point accurate. And he, my only downfall is that they are loud. And and I'll be honest with you, the, the company, they responded back to me and they they're like, thank you very much for this this insight. And so they appreciated me taking my time to, to reach out to them. Uh, have you ever had anything like that go wrong where they're just like, well, you're not using it right or, or, uh, that doesn't happen to anybody else. No, not, not typically. Yeah. Um, okay. I think more, more likely in that scenario, I just wouldn't get a response. Yeah. 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 They, I don't know, man. I, I, it's one of these things where, I am a tinker or two in the clothes. Now going kind of going back to clothing, I'm a tinker or two in the, in the clothing side of things where I've tinkered my way, not a hundred percent, but almost out of the hunting industry. And I found other uh, types of clothing that will do the same thing as a hunting brand. And I'm not a hundred percent sure why I've done that, but you know, because for the most part, some of these, some of them are dirt cheap, but they last. 
and some of them are about the same price as a uh, um, as another you know for like pants for pants or or base layer for base layer than a the same as a hunting brand so or one of the top tier hunting hunting brands like first light or sitka or something like that where i've found a uh, a similar product outside of the hunting industry uh for roughly the same price and so i don't know why but i i've just i've found myself gravitating to solid colors and found found myself just tinkering my way out of the the hunting space not to say that any of those are bad but uh when it comes to any type of hunting equipment and i know hunting hunting specific gear like a bow is a bow you know you're going to use a bow for archery but are there any other type of products that you've that you mess around with or look for that may not be hunting industry Hmm. i mean footwear definitely falls into that category to a certain extent yeah especially on the the hiking boot side of things. I mean, obviously there's a lot of hunting boot companies, but there's a lot of other companies that just serve the hiking communities primarily, but they still function for what we're trying to do. That's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Clothing is is the other really good one. I think that you mentioned. What about, uh, I mean, but do you buy, I mean, do you buy specifically from hunting brands? Usually. Yeah. uh, Although not always like, you know, you brought up the pants thing. Uh, One of my friends, just was raving about these like $20 stretch nylon pants from Walmart. I think Wrangler made them. Yeah. And I went and picked up a pair in initially. I was like, man, these things are awesome. It's like the same as, you know, a $80, $100 pair of hunting company pants. They were like yeah. tan in color. Uh, and then the first time I walked through Briars with them, they were about shredded into a million pieces. <laughs> and that's why they're 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've had my fair share of, you know, that baggers lice stuff right? That just sticks to absolutely everything. And so my main, my main hunting pant in Iowa or the Midwest that has all that early season, well, it's shit. Those, that beggar lice, that's all year round if you walk through it. But, uh, I've noticed that, uh, in, uh, uh, there's certain types of like really thick denim that it doesn't necessarily stick to a lot. And if it does stick to it, uh, it comes off real easy. Now you take a, a pair of, uh, I don't know, anything fleece you can't use again, right? I mean, it just, it just sticks to yep. it like crazy, but, uh, I found that some, that really thick denim. Now it has zero, I don't know what you would, any type of body temperature regulate regulation, right? You would have to wear a base layer underneath that to do that. But just from a walking through thorns and a beggar's lice and just beating the crap out of my equipment that performs way better than anything else. Because I've, I've bought a pair of those high dollar, really breathable pants. I've got a hole in it on day one of using it. I think I caught it on one of my steps as I was coming down out of the tree Mm -hmm. and it those things only flex for so long until they actually tear and so i got a little tear in it and eventually throughout the year the tear got bigger because i never fixed it and so i was just like man my other stuff it it doesn't breathe as well but i can wear a base layer to kind of solve that problem but it's extremely durable and so that's another reason why i've kind of weaseled my way out of those because you know most most of the hunting brands they really don't have any like here's a denim pair of work pants 
Yeah. Yeah. Probably the closest things you get are like the, you know, some companies make like those traps. Oh yeah. Nylon traps. Yeah. Those are kind of similar, you know? Um, and I think some, some brands make more like pheasant hunting, like brush busting style uh, yeah. of pants, yeah. which, which works for there too. The only downside of course is that they have that more, a little bit more of a swishing noise or if you, you know, brush against something, you're going to hear it a little bit more, which yeah. obviously early season, that's doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Yeah. Mid season might be a little bit different story, but right. So when it comes to, uh, let's see here now, are you strictly out of a saddle right now? Uh, either that or on the ground or on the ground. Yeah, that's right. You're a ground guy. So let's talk about saddles, right? For, for a while. how long have you been using a saddle? Oh boy. Um, gotta be, that's a track, but it's gotta be like five or six years. Five or six. Okay. And, and well, if you, if you include the old lone wolf, uh, assassin platform that they came out with like 15 years ago, then yeah. much longer. Okay. It's, it's kind of, kind of saddle-esque, right? Right. So you're wearing your regular safety harness, but you're just standing the whole time. Right. Right. Okay. So have you noticed, cause I'm getting ready to get into the saddle uh, game pretty heavy this year. Have you noticed any type of wear and tear on a saddle that, you know, cause unlike a bow, something can be wear and tear and you're not going to fall out of the tree if it fails. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, ropes and things like that. Have you noticed any wear and tear on ropes um, or what maybe a, a saddle hunter needs to keep an eye out for on items that do wear and tear and, and how often those should be replaced? Yeah, I would say that typically I don't notice a bunch of extreme wear on the stuff that's really important. Uh, but I do notice occasionally some wear, especially f- for certain items that maybe aren't being used like totally to the best of their abilities. A good example would be uh, for guys using like a rope man too for their ascender. Uh, if you're using that and you're not opening the cam up all the way, when you go to let rope out, it'll grab and usually start to pull away at the sheath of the rope a little bit and it'll get kind of yeah, um, kind of pilled up looking. Yeah. Um, if you walk through again, like the briar example, if you have a, a saddle that has mesh on it, and you're doing a lot of side stepping, or, or if you have like the, the, um, any kind of superficial straps, usually the nylon straps that make up the, the bulk of the actual part of the saddle that's weight bearing, uh, seem to be, pretty good against the abrasion, but if you have some other kind of webbing that's that's a little bit softer. Cause even like within nylons, you get like some really stiff webbing or some really soft webbing. And, uh, I've noticed before that the thorns on, you know, the berries or the, the briars, whatever, they can start to make that look kind of filled up too. Right. But typically I haven't really noticed it on things like am steel or, or the, you know, the primary seatbelt webbing or nylon webbing. Yeah. That, uh, is most important. Yeah. And that stuff is, I mean, the, the design of that stuff is meant to last like a very long time. Like those ropes are ultra, if I had to guess anyway, I mean, you probably have more experience with that than me, but I'm pretty sure those are designed to last a very long time. Yeah. Especially some of the smaller diameter, well, I guess all of them, right. The bigger ropes are, are kind of modeled off of, off of what is used in the tree industry. And then the smaller ropes, some of them are tree industry. Some of them are other industries, but in order to get similar strengths, those smaller ropes end up using higher strength materials and even the sheath might be, you know, higher temperature rating, something to that effect. So yeah, usually if it's made its way onto a, you know, well-respected saddle company, it's, it's probably pretty high quality stuff. Yeah. That's a fact. Um, when it, now let's, let's 
ask you another like very general question. Um, what should people be looking for when determining what is, I don't know, high quality versus low quality? I think one of the, I guess I'll, I'll start with the saddle, you know, realm first to kind of start with, but it can be kind of tough. I think generally speaking, you can look at things like stitch quality as an indication of what kind of attention to detail uh, does a company have if it's a smaller company or if it's a bigger company, what kind of quality control do they have in yeah. terms of mass production? Sometimes, you know, you can make a hundred of something really good, but you go up to 10,000, you start to see issues. Yeah. Um, stitch quality would just be one example, just like clothing, right? You, you get cheap clothing and sometimes the stitching doesn't hold up that great or, or you see missed stitches or um, loose threads uh, hanging out. So that, that'd be one thing to look at. Um, but apart from, apart from that, it can be really tough to tell just because there is just in general, not a whole lot going on there. Yeah. I mean, you can, there's only so many pieces of webbing and, and so much mesh and, and nylon um, or polyester and those type of things. But um, I mean, I guess that's just one example within like the saddle itself. Yeah. yeah. But if you have any other examples, I could probably dive into those too. Yeah. I just, I, I'm, uh, I think <laughs> I come back to this all the time. I think marketing can make a product seem higher quality than what it really is too. Um, they, uh, I don't know why, but I, I, I take broadheads for example, uh, and maybe even archery equipment, for example, or, uh, bows, for example, I think a lot, there's, there's companies out there that throw a lot of money into uh, the marketing of a product. And I think guys, any, any serious, let's just say bow hunter will find out that, Hey man, you know, i I've been duped. I got sold on the marketing aspect and, uh, they didn't, these, these products didn't necessarily perform like I thought they were going to. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's definitely true. And I guess one thing that, that kind of counters the point I made earlier, sometimes there's a difference between sort of an aesthetic quality and a yeah. functional quality. Yeah. You might you get a brand new backpack and it's like, man, this thing looks really nice. And then use it for a season. And it's like, ah, it didn't work that great. Yeah. Or you might get a pack that that just seems like it's a little rough around the edges, but like man, they got pockets in the right spots, the zipper works and yeah. I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I was going yeah, to. Feel I feel comfortable wearing it, that kind of stuff. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I'll tell you that 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 has a lot to do um man, what do I how do I put this? This uh how how do I say this? Uh there is the uh, I won't say it cause I just kind of brain farted. <laughs> I, I had it, I had it right there, but then, uh, I lost it anyway. When it comes to, I don't know, um, go, kind of going back to dirt, like the durability, uh, of, of things. Do you think there is ever a time where functionality and durability kind of are, at odds with each other like dude the functionality of this is awesome but this means the durability it uh for a certain product is is lower oh yeah definitely uh anything in the ultra lightweight realm is usually going to fall on that quantity or that uh 
that great category point. where great point where you know durability is kind of a trade-off against um, whatever I guess functionality you're getting from the lightweight aspect of yeah. that gear, whether it's a, a tent, a sleeping bag, or whatever, um, and obviously anything in the hunting industry. But I think the the other one that kind of falls into that category for me is, would be clothing. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm gonna have an ultralight like summer base layer, it's probably gonna be some kind of a you know stretchy polyester with some spandex in it or something of that effect. Something right. that if it was more durable, I would roast. So I'm gonna going to wear something that's more breathable and that just by its very nature means it's not going to hold up very well. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, at the birth of some of these ultralight, I think some of them have figured it out now. Uh, for example, first light. Okay. So first light back in the day, there was always these questions about how durable their products were. Um, but I think they fixed, I think they fixed that now. Uh, but back in the day, I think a lot of companies were, we're having that struggle where they're trying to find the, the lightweight, the breathable and the durability. And it was almost like a teeter totter. It, it was, it wasn't breathable and it was too durable or it wasn't durable enough, but it, it felt great on your body. Right. Yeah. Well, even, even with, I think with first light, you know, a good example on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So I think they were one of those companies that have like a brush busting style of pant. Yeah. And, on the other end of the spectrum, they have the Merino. I think they were called the obsidian pants. Maybe they still have a version of that now, yeah. but you know, totally opposite, opposite end of the spectrum and the Merino based pants, even though they were ripstop, didn't have the same level of durability, but they offered other benefits right. that came at the cost of durability. Right. Right. And that's, that's one thing that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about you. Let me ask you this question. When it comes to being uncomfortable but making sure your 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 product that your whatever product works properly. Are you willing to sacrifice any type of comfort for the best functionality? Like as far as uh, maybe add durability into that. Hmm. I'd say I'm probably more likely to compromise on durability than I would comfort, depending on what it okay. is. Gotcha. At least from the standpoint of comfort in a tree, whether it's, you know, me being cold um, and that discomfort is going to cause me to, to kind of, you know, tuck my head into my collar and, and just steer straight forward and, and can't wait for the day to be done. Yeah. Um, like that's obviously miserable. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather gain that comfort back at the expense of maybe something else. Yeah. Um, or, you know, just from like a, even like just sitting there, like yeah. saddle, knee pads, platform standpoint, like yeah. I'd rather... I'd rather carry perhaps a little bit more weight. Uh, I'd rather, well, I guess durability doesn't really, I guess, factor into that one as much, but I'd rather be comfortable in that scenario because I know I'm going to be less fidgety. Less fidgety means I'm less likely to get picked off. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that uh, I've kind of learned over the years, especially hunting in cold weather where it's like, I really don't care. I'm not even thinking about durability at that point. I'm thinking about staying as warm as possible in a comfortable setting so that if something does go down, I'm ready for it. Right. And not, yep. I mean, yep. they, even that's even hard in like negative 15 degree weather. I remember a couple of years ago, we had a really cold rut in Iowa and I think it, uh, there was like three or four days in a row where it got down to like, whew, I want to say like negative 20 uh, as I'm walking into the stand and, uh, it was, the high was like negative 
negative one for the day. And so I'm sitting there on these morning hunts and I'm just like, can't control myself. So I, I, I just went with what, whatever was going to keep me warm. And that was like two pairs of overalls and just you know, like not even thinking about proper layering. I was just like, I got to get something on me. That's going <laughs> to, that's going to keep me, keep me warm. So, um, you're the DIY guy. So can you provide us with any examples of some maybe simple DIY tips or tricks that might extend the life of certain products or keep you from having to, you know, cycle through certain products uh, every year or every other year? Yeah, for clothing, trying to find, a, you know, a used sewing machine or, or something that's maybe entry level and learning how to sew. There's a gazillion videos on YouTube on how to do it and how to fix certain things and how to add pockets to stuff. I mean, that's a great one because then you don't have to find somebody to do it for you and you don't have to fork out, you know, 200 bucks to go replace whatever was broken. Right. Um, archery, you know, getting a bow press and figuring out how to do your own stuff. Even if it's just like a portable bow press, I mean, for as infrequently as you have to use a bow press to fix something, usually a portable bow press is just fine. It'll fit in your workbench or, or whatever, um, versus having like a full bench top, like ultra DIY setup for doing your own bow work. Yeah. So those, those things would definitely be like really like low level stuff that you can do. The information's out there. It's easy to learn how to do it. Um, you're likely going to be able to find somebody who has done it before to be able to bounce questions off of them. Um, and both of those can save you quite a bit of money. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Well, Garrett, man, thanks for this quick talk today. Really appreciate your insight. Um, everybody who's listening right now needs to go check out the DIY Sportsman podcast on the Sportsman's Empire uh, Network. And uh, Garrett, man, hopefully uh, I'm going to get you on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast here pretty soon and we can ch chat about your upcoming season. And uh, if I don't talk to you before that, good luck this upcoming season, man. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck to you too.